Welcome to Movie Geeks United. You're tuning in to another exciting episode of The Blue Report. We're covering August titles this month. Adam has his list at the ready. Yes. And some of the review discs, too, that I can tell you a little bit about. I, I got to a good number of them this month. Some months I are a little busier than others, but I made sure I stay. I tried to stay on top of it and uh, saw, I was able to review quite a few of them. So uh, there's still a few. There always are. But, you know, uh, but we always uh, when we do the Blue Report, we always go back to the beginning of the month. So we'll go back to. August 3rd, and how about the Transformers the movie from 1986? How's that a way to start Oh, is that the, the animated uh, Orson Welles one? Yeah, Orson Welles' final screen credit. Wow, that's uh, he uh, starts with uh, with Citizen Kane and ends with Transformers the movie. <laughs> what quite, a trajectory. It's quite a career. <laughs> I would say so. Obviously, when it came out, it was very poorly reviewed. Uh, the critics were very... <laughs> Uh, not kind to this film, and somehow, I guess it's the fanboys or people who uh, wear nostalgia-colored glasses uh, have really taken to this film, and it has gotten so many, so many issues on home video, and this is the latest one from the good folks over at Shout Factory have opted to issue it in 4K. Wow. 4K, and they've done the 4K transfer in a new Steelbook edition. Exciting. When did he do his Nostradamus? When he narrated that? Uh, that was 1982, I believe. Okay. Gosh, I yeah. remember that playing all the time when I was a kid. That yeah. Nostradamus thing. I never saw frame one of the Transformers movie, though. <laughs> Full confession, I still haven't. <laughs> I did at one point own a sealed copy of the soundtrack, and that I was able to sell that for over 100 bucks. Oh, I don't doubt it. Yeah, that's uh, Vince DiCola, isn't it? The same guy that did the music for Rocky IV, I believe. Uh, I believe. (laughs) Rocky IV. Rocky IV has so (laughs) I I I spent like a like a day watching rewatching all the Rocky movies last year or so ago. Uh huh. Rocky IV has an abundance of musical montages. It's almost like the entire movie is one big montage. I know there's there's a piece of montage in every single one during the training sequence, but it was ridiculous in Rocky Four. I'd forgotten about it. Yeah, well, you know, music videos were all the rage around the time they shot that. And yeah. So it was it was a trendy thing. So I guess that explains some of it. And you know, of course, uh, living uh, living in America was the return to the charts for James Brown after a hiatus of I don't know, probably about twelve years at that point. I yeah. Think. Since yeah. he'd been on the top 40 charts. Well, so, I, rem- I remember watching Rocky IV in the theater. I oh, I did too, yeah. The feeling of walking out and everybody was pumped up. I mean, the movies work on that level. Rocky V certainly does not. But Yeah, the jingoism was so thick in the air you could cut it with a knife. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. that was. You know, what was the deal with uh, he was going to be uh, – he was teasing about recutting Rocky IV last year. He, he and it did. Was gonna be, he did. He did. Yeah. Okay, and have they issued that? I don't or? know what the status is on it, but uh, you know, he posted a bunch of Instagram photos of him, uh, uh, videos of him in the editing studio, like mm-hmm. remastering and re- rejiggering a lot of stuff. Yeah. Well, I would be interested to see that. I mean, I don't know that it's gonna enhance the quality one way or the other, but uh, you know, it would be interesting just as a curio, if nothing else. Yeah. So. Um, 
So anyway, we have Transformers the movie in 4K Ultra HD plus a, a Blu-ray bonus. And you have uh, your bonus features here are uh, the new 4K restoration, of course, a new feature-length storyboards, a new 2016 private acoustic performance by Stan Bush. Huh? And uh, I think <laughs> maybe he's a musician that's uh, involved with the film. I'm not 100% sure there. Uh, Till All Are One is a comprehensive documentary looking back at the Transformers, the movie, with members of the cast and crew, obviously not uh, Orson Welles among them. No. But uh, Stan Bush actually doesn't have anything to do with the movie. It's just some random he's guy. He's a songwriter. Oh, okay. Singer-songwriter, actually. It'd be it's funny if here. they just put some random guy on there with a special feature that has nothing to do with the actual movie. <laughs> that would be funny. Uh, audio commentary with the director, Nelson Shin. And the story consultant, Flint Deal. And anyway, featurette storyboards, trailers, TV spots, and it comes housed in a nice steel book. So for Flint fans of Transformers, Dill. yeah. That's quite a name, Flint Dill. <laughs> that it is. That's the guy that should have raced against Cole Trickle in Days of Thunder. <laughs> yeah, that's a good character name for a movie, no doubt about it. The Little Rascals, the classic flicks restorations, volume two has been issued. Now, they... Uh, issued the first volume back in June, and uh, I did get a copy of that one. It was pretty spectacular uh, what they've done with uh, these little rascal shorts, and they're doing them chronologically. There was a um, a GoFundMe campaign that helped them to uh, get this done, but they've they've really done a, a pretty uh, commendable job. The, the sad part on these discs is is unfortunately that there are no extras. So if you want the documentaries and all that stuff, you got to go back and get the. Uh, the previous releases on DVD, there's a box set out there that came out, um, oh, I don't know, around the early 2010s or something like that. But um, anyway, uh, but the, if you just want the shorts themselves, these new Blu-rays from Classic Flicks are quite extraordinary. Pups is pups, teacher's pet, school's out, helping grandma love business, little daddy, bargain day, fly my kite, big ears, shiver my timbers, and dogs is dogs. And I can tell you just about every one of these are uh, really Home runs if you enjoy a certain type of comedy from that era, which I do. And I grew up talking, speaking of growing up with things, we grew up with these. These were in uh, heavily syndicated in our area where I grew up. And so that uh, probably is one of the reasons why I have a certain fondness for them. But uh, nevertheless, I was very pleased that they're doing this restoration work on the Little Rascals. Coogan's Bluff has been issued, reissued, I should say, by Kino Lorber. Uh, it's been previously issued by Universal. Uh, I think they use the same transfer, but there's a new audio commentary here. This is the Clint Eastwood film, of course, from 1968. Uh, and I think Lee J. Cobb is in that with him as well. And then we have a couple other Kino releases here. Valdez Horses, uh, starring Charles Bronson from 1973. Arise My Love with Claudette Colbert. Ray Milland from 1940, Union Pacific from 1939, and that stars Barbara Stanwyck, and we have No Time for Love with Claudette Colbert and Fred McMurray again. Um, let's see, I believe that's all the Kino titles for that day. And then we have a couple of Arrow releases. Uh, the Dam Damajan, I think that's how you pronounce it, trilogy, which is a series of Japanese giant uh, it's about a giant statue that comes to life and uh defends the citizens of japan and there was a trilogy of these films this was made during the time when they had all the 
when the giant monster films were all the rage with the Toho Studios, with the Godzilla films and the Gamera films, this is in that wheelhouse. And it's uh, there's three of these films. Uh, Damagen, I think is how you pronounce it. The Damagen Trilogy. And anyway, this is 1966. These films were released and uh, for fans of giant monster films and that sort of thing. Uh, they This has been a requested item, I do believe. Uh, like I said, all three films, Dimajan, Return of Dimajan, Wrath of Dimajan, um, and some new extras, new transfers. This is an Arrow video release. They do really good work, and they've also done some terrific work on the new Django. The 1966 Django has been issued in 4K. Uh, this is the original Franco Nero, of course. Um, yeah, it's it's quite quite uh, quite. Extraordinary. I'll use that word again on what the work they've done here with the restoration, with the uh, high definite, high dynamic range, and all that stuff. New extras and uh, some archived extras as well. I believe Luca, uh, the uh, Disney film, recent Disney animated film, has been issued as as has those who wish me dead. The Angelina Jolie, where she's a, a yeah. firefighter. Ty, Sher- uh, uh, Ty Sheridan, the the um, the the guy. What did Ty Sheridan do that he was acclaimed for? A Hell or High Water. Yeah, that's right. He, he wrote that, right? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's his movie. I liked it as far as it went. It's a, it's a, you know, like a like a woman in peril kind of movie in the mm-hmm. midst of a forest fire. It was fine. <laughs> it did seem like a step down from what he's generally been acclaimed for, which is Hell or High Water and the new uh, that uh, TV show with Costner. Oh yeah. Right. What is that called? Yellow, Yellowstone. Yellowstone. Yeah. Yeah, I hear good things about Yellowstone. I, I again have not gotten around to it, although I I did get a review copy of I think the first season. Uh, it's around here somewhere, but one of these days. <laughs> uh, so moving along to August 10th, we'll go with some of these titles. Um, the Warner Archive, good folks, at Warner Archive have issued One Crazy Summer. Mm. Uh, which is the, uh, I know we had Savage Steve Holland on the show at one point, and this was the follow-up to Better Off Dead. And uh, I think it's quite funny. doesn't quite, kind of runs out of steam towards the end of the film, I think, uh, where they have the boat race. It kind of uh, but stops, kind of stops being funny and becomes a, you know, the, the underdogs win the race kind of thing. And that's a little cliche. But other than that, there's some really good gags in this film, some gags that really... Uh, land pretty well, I would say. And I think it holds up. I, I watched it. The transfer is really nice. Uh, they retained the feature-length audio commentary by Curtis Armstrong, Bobcat Goldthwait, and writer-director Savage Steve Holland. And the trailer is on here. Of course, noticeably absent from the commentary is um, John Cusack. And Savage Steve Holland has said uh, multiple times that um, Cusack does not like him, and he's not sure why. So... <laughs> Uh, just uh, just refuses to speak to him. I think uh, at some point during the commentary, it is they kind of reference that, uh, but uh, it's it's kind of a weird story uh, about them and how they made those two films together, and then he just stopped speaking to him, and he's not exactly sure why. And uh, I think that's sad because they worked really well together. I think those are two uh, two two very good comedies in his uh, career canon. Yeah. Uh, moving along, Paramount Presents. Uh, that's the uh, the line of titles that Paramount has been uh, putting out every month since uh, April of last year, I guess. They started with Fatal Attraction and um, I think it was, uh, oh, uh, To Catch a Thief. That's what it was, yeah. 
and those were a couple of the early ones. And they they've been putting them out steadily. Now they're up to uh, I think number twenty five, and they just announced this week. This is big news for me anyway. Uh, that they're going to be one of their Paramount Presents line uh, titles uh, coming in November. November 12th is Ragtime. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And the big deal about that is that they have just recently uncovered Milos Forman's original work print, and it will be on the set that they're going to be issuing. And this has been for years rumored and talked about, and they didn't know if it actually existed, but apparently they did locate it. It's going to be put on a bonus disc. And I know Milos Forman was always very displeased that a lot of the stuff uh, that he originally had shot was uh, Dino De Laurentiis ordered that it be shortened and excised. And so now maybe we'll get to see the uh, the full version. I don't know. But I'm I'm excited about it. I, I'm a big, big fan of Ragtime. I think that's a, one of Milos Forman's great, great films that nobody talks about. And it turns 40 this year, so I think it's fitting. And this is a limited edition paramount presents but i'm talking about november titles in august so uh i need to move along with what we're talking about here (laughs) but anyway what i was going to say is that a place in the sun has been issued uh this is the elizabeth taylor montgomery cliff shelley winters directed by george stevens production of uh it's an adaptation of theodore dreiser's an american tragedy and that was based on a, a a i believe a true crime tale it's the first film to win the Golden Globe in the category of Best Picture Drama before winning six Academy Awards, including Best Director. Uh, it's, a, it's a pretty good film of its type. I like uh, it. I like that movie. Yeah, I do, too. I, it's it's pretty good. Um, it's basically, uh, you know, rich uh, playboy kind of falls for Shelley Winters and then finds something a little bit better with Liz Taylor. And so he's trying to figure out how to ditch the former girlfriend. And yeah. things get complicated when she gets pregnant. So anyway, um, yeah, he play he play, he plays uh, Eddie Fisher in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> kind of does, it's true. But anyway, uh, looks really great, great. Uh, first time Blu-ray issue looks great. A new film filmmaker focus feature at here uh, with Leonard Malton on a place in the sun, and George Stevens and his place in the sun featurette commentary by George Stevens Jr. and Ivan Moffat and George Stevens filmmakers who knew him featurette and the trailer. So A Place in the Sun. Is you ever one see of the- that Montgomery Cliff documentary from a few years back? I did, yeah. Yeah, it's so really it was, good. I it's thought good. it was too, yeah. They kind of dispelled some of the uh, urban legends about Montgomery Cliff, I thought. And uh, kind of were able to differentiate the truth from yeah. the fact from the fiction, so to speak. Now we just need a documentary on uh, the relationship between Marlon Brando and Richard Pryor. And then, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm anxiously awaiting that one. I'm sure Gilbert Gottfried is too, because he mentions that every chance he gets. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought that was funny when they had Richard Donner on there a couple of years ago. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, that was the first question they went to. Donner doesn't want to go near it. Uh, he's, well, Donner said, uh, not that I'm aware of. <laughs> yeah. I don't know anything, but he, you know, he did direct both of them. He directed Richard Pryor in the Toy, and he directed Marlon Brando in Superman. So. You worked with both of them. Yeah, I rewatched The Omen the other night because I mm-hmm. haven't seen it since I was a kid. Yeah. Now, who was the 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 nanny? It was the daughter of who? Ah, uh, yeah, that's the daughter of um. <sighs> goodness gracious. Uh, it is somebody that's notable, and I'm I'm drawing a blank because I just re-listened to the Richard Donner podcast when he was on Gilbert's podcast. 
uh, and he mentioned it, and I yeah. can't. Yeah, uh, yeah, I'm drawing a blank. Uh, I could tell you real quick. Hang on, Palance, Jack yeah. Palance. That's right. That's it. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That's 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 who it was. Yeah. Yeah. Good cast. Yeah, because he had worked with uh, Jack Palance, I think, previously, and uh, he had that spot and gave it to her. Yeah. Yeah, it was a dead giveaway when Gregory Peck walks into the bedroom and there's the Hound of Hell by the window, and then. The nanny is on the floor doing one-armed push-ups. I mean, you should have known right right then that, <laughs> that they were related. Clue. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Actually, the Omen I'm a big fan of. I, I think it's a very classy horror film, and they and they uh, it's it's very good of its type. I think yeah, it holds it's up solidly done. Yeah, it, it does it. And I like this. I like this. I know the score is very claimed, and I like the quieter, the few quieter moments on it, but. That's a score I don't listen to for enjoyment. <laughs> no, you can't. You know, it's funny. Some scores you can listen to separate from the film, but that score, I think, yeah. only works in tandem yeah. with the film. Although, I do really admire the, uh, the the main title theme, The Piper Dreams, I think is the name of it, from The Omen. And there is a vocal version of that, weirdly enough, on uh, YouTube that you can find uh, some crooner or something there's there are lyrics it's actually pretty good yeah it just gets me too keyed up yes it's (laughs) but uh anyway yeah that's a it's it's a good score but only good within the context of the film i I totally agree ah so now here's an interesting thing to talk about is uh another one of the paramount presents titles number 24 is nashville now, you're probably saying to yourself, uh, if you follow the physical media trends, wasn't Nashville put out on Blu-ray a while back by Criterion? Well, you're, yeah. yeah, you're correct. It was. Well, their uh, licensing agreement with Paramount has expired. Oh, okay. So if you own that Criterion Blu-ray, it is worth quite a bit of money. And that goes along with all of the other Paramount titles that Criterion had at one point licensed the rights to, and that goes for Don't Look Now and uh, Harold and Maud, Rosemary's Baby, and Medium Cool, and um, Seconds. Those are a few, and um, uh, yeah, so uh, there's, um, you know, if you have any of those Paramount titles, uh, you might want to hold on to them or sell or wait till the, or you can strike when the iron's hot because they're going for quite a pretty penny on them. Um, on eBay, but Nashville has been reissued now as a Paramount title. So, uh, new transfer, new 4K transfer, and uh, the problem here, though, is, I mean, it looks great, sounds great, and they did retain the commentary by Altman. Uh, the trailers are here, and there's a new featurette called 24 Tracks. The problem is there's a 72-minute documentary on the original Criterion that's really good, and... Uh, uh, I guess Criterion owns the rights to that, and so it's not here, and that's the big drawback. Uh, and I think uh, it's definitely worth, if you have the, the Criterion, it, it may be worth your money to just hold on to, because that, that, that's a good, really comprehensive documentary about the making of Nashville, and quite quite interesting, I think. And so, uh, and there are some home movies on the uh, Criterion where they it's just raw footage that uh, that they took while they were shooting certain key sequences from the film, that's on the old Criterion as well. So that's not here either. So I uh, just wanted to mention those things. The 1998 uh, Art House 
this was received quite well at the time of its release in 1998, Afterlife. It's a Japanese film. It's uh, The premise of the film is that people go to a, a certain limb, a type of limbo where after they die and they get to choose the moment of their life that they want to relive. And uh, it's about a group of people who have just died and they're trying to figure out which moment they want to relive. And this is a really acclaimed movie that I missed when it originally came out. I, I watched it uh, in preparation for the show and to do my homework. And I don't know, it just didn't quite do it for me. It was it was a good premise, but the execution of it uh, was really uh, the lethargically paced. And I just uh, I did not connect with it, I have to admit. But for fans of Afterlife, and I'm sure there are a lot because it was, like I said, very well critically received. There is a new 2K restoration approved by the writer-director. Uh, there's new audio commentary with the film scholar Linda C. Ehrlich. And new interviews with the uh, the filmmaker and the cinematographers and deleted scenes and a trailer and a booklet. So uh, Afterlife uh, has been issued. Speaking of Paramount reissuing titles, well, uh, you know, last year we had the big Friday the 13th box from Scream Factory, and you know they've got a new Halloween box. I'm sure you're aware of that. Uh, some of our <laughs> listeners probably are. Yeah, they're doing all the Halloween films, well, the first five, uh, in 4K, new 4K transfers and uh, all kinds of goodies. So they're kind of doing the same thing they did last year with the Friday the 13th, although it's although it's just the first five films uh, in the in the uh, Halloween series, rather. So well, uh, kind of. There's yeah. two. There's one good film. There's one great film. Mm-hmm. There's one acceptably mediocre film, and then there's one surprising nutty film, and then <laughs> and then two shit films. Yeah, four and five are bad um, and totally illogical. Uh, I have a soft place in my heart for number three because they were that's to that, do that's different. the fascinating yeah. loony one. Yeah, it's loony. It's out there, but there's a lot of. Uh, it's, it has nice atmosphere. I lo- I've always enjoyed the, the, the atmospherics of it and yeah. what they were trying to do something different. I mean, give them some credit for that. And uh, I love the score, and I think it's incredibly well shot by Dean Coondy. And uh, there's some there's some really good, you know, some interesting stuff going on in that film. Um, so two is uh, I don't know what you say about two. It's um, that's the medio the acceptably the medio- mediocre one. Because yeah, I, I, you know, that's so. if you want to waste some time, and you know, it's yeah. acceptable enough. But yeah. uh, uh, three is a, uh, yeah, you kind of have to laugh at it, like because it did. You're like, it oh, doesn't make any, you know, the Stonehenge thing at the end of it, and you're like, yeah. what? what? It's like these people when they wrote this, they, they were clearly on something. But uh, you know, it's it's uh, it's fun. It's a fun watch, but uh, yeah. And I know that my friend Rick, he likes, uh, he really likes either four or five. I can't remember which one. Oh, I remember seeing four in the theater when it came out in '88. What, was, I was, the one I was, with, what was the one with Paul Rudd? Was that five? I think so. I think so. Yeah, I, I saw four when it came out, and I was just so angry. I just remember walking out. I was so angry, but because it was so illogical, uh, it just made no sense whatsoever. I mean, you know the. If, if you're picking up it after number two ends, the first thing that's wrong with it is that Michael Myers is going to have to have a seeing eye dog to do any killing uh, because he shot his eyes out at the end of number two. So right off the bat, you've got problems, and it just goes yeah, down. Yeah, I mean, you can't. <laughs> yeah. So you, 
you can't fault those movies for logic, right? I guess not. I mean, well, if if you go on if you go on the condition that that was established in the first one that he wasn't necessarily a, he was a you know like he was the boogeyman. Sure. Yeah. I get that, but you know, I felt like one and two at least had some sort of cohesive uh, line that you know, a logic line of logic, I guess you would say. Yeah. I thought one and two did. You know, they kind of lined up a little. You know, for the most part. They were trying at least. Uh, by the time four came along, it's like uh, we're not even going to bother to try. And it's just it's just lackluster in all departments. But yeah. you know, to each his own, whatever. But what I was getting at is that uh, they did the uh, the Friday the Thirteenth set last year, and so Paramount has now issued all of their Friday the Thirteenth films, the ones that were uh, released through Paramount Studios, in a uh, collection. It's the eight movie collection, and it's uh, just Blu-ray only, no 4K. But the first four films have brand new transfers and a lot of the carryover, no new features, extra features, but there's some of the old special features that have been carried over from previous issues. Uh, the last four films, uh, five, six, seven, eight, those have not been given new transfers. These are pre-existing transfers and they, they look fine, but the first four really do look quite, quite splendid. Um, I can't imagine that first one looking good. I mean, I just can't imagine it. It's so terribly put together on shot, such yeah. an amateur movie yeah I, relatively speaking i should uh, clarify that statement because there's only so much you can do with it but but this is the uncut version of the first one that's on this uh, set and the problem i have with it though unfortunately uh, the 3d version of the third film is not here mm. and that's what makes the third one work so well for me i have a 3d version of it on dvd that came with the uh the red blue glasses, the old 3D before the uh, the current system that they're using now, but it still works. I pull it out just about every Halloween and put yeah. it on, and it's still pretty effective. Well, the third one and, is pretty uh, fun as far as that yeah. goes. What was so, the one where they found yeah. where the stunt guy found footage in his base in his garage or something? It was number two. It was number two. The makeup guy, uh, mm. I think, is Carl. What was his name? Carl Carl Fullerton. That was the guy. The makeup guy. Yeah, that's an interesting story. Now, why and would I they come out with their own box set a year after Scream Factory did it? <laughs> Everybody's asking the same question. But I guess it's because it's it's a little more economically priced. Uh, you know, it's it's a a six disc set. It's you know that fits neatly on your shelf. And you know, some people just don't care about the post Paramount films. And so, uh, and you get digital codes here. There's digital versions of them as well, which you didn't get with the Scream set so i mean there are a few things but if you have the screen i can't imagine anybody who bought the screen set double dipping for this right but if you haven't it's not such a bad idea you could do worse okay. and like i said the trend the four the first four transfers are, are as good as you're going to get uh, i just lament the fact that there's no 3d version of number three but but it uh, doesn't have like jason x and that stuff no, none of those. Yeah, they sold out. You know, after number eight did so poorly, the Jason Tank takes Manhattan. Paramount just wanted to get out of the. Uh, they wanted to get oh, out of the, right. the Friday the Thirteenth business. That it had turned over to New Line, right? That's right. Yeah, and so they waited five years, and they did. Uh, uh, I think it was the final Friday or something like that, or was it Jason Goes to Hell or something? I forget. Anyway, but anyway, they did one in two thousand three, and then that didn't do well, and then they they finally did. You know. Jason X later, but uh, anyway, these are the Paramount. The best films. kill in Jason X. 
Is uh, that the guy who gets split into a, the, the freezes and yes. they? Yeah, that's yeah, that's good. <laughs> I, I I remember it. Yes, good stuff. Well, so we'll move on to some other titles. Uh, let's see what we have here. We have uh, Lilies of the Field, Sydney Poitier. Uh, that is uh, being issued, reissued rather by Kino. That's been previously issued by Twilight Time. Is obviously the now, well, Twilight Time is back, but just not in the same capacity it was before. But anyway, Lilies of the Field has been reissued um, from 1963 with the new commentary. OSS, starring Alan Ladd and Geraldine Fitzgerald, is another Kino release, as is the 1961 film. It's kind of fun in its own sort of way, in that melodrama sort of way. Backstreet, which I did get a chance. To, I got a review copy of this and got a chance to watch it. It's uh, Susan Hayward and John Gavin and Vera Miles. Uh, John Gavin and Vera Miles, of course, previously starring together in Psycho the year before, and they reteamed in this one. And uh, she plays his wife here, and she was his fiance, I think, what, in, uh, uh, I believe, or was it? I can't remember. It's, uh, it is, uh, yeah, he's the fiance of uh, Janet Lee. That's right, in the uh, or boyfriend or whatever in the Psycho. Well, yeah. anyway, Vera Miles still alive. She is. It's pretty amazing. But uh, probably this has the, an audience. probably the only surviving member of that of Psycho's shoot. I think so. Yeah. yeah, it is. It's amazing. She's got to be close to ninety or in her nineties, something. Uh, yeah. So anyway, Backstreet is a. Uh, Based on the Fanny Hurst novel, and it's um, it's just a tearjerker, you know, typical Universal International, uh, glossy Technicolor Ross Hunter production uh, from 1961, and it's a tearjerker about John Gavin and Susan Hayward. They they meet cute, but they uh, they want to be together, but tragic circumstances keep preventing them at every turn. And I don't want to get into all the plot twists and turns, but you know, it's it's fun of its type if you love those. If you're a sucker for those kind of things, and I kind of sort of am, it's uh, uh, it's not directed by St- Douglas Sirk. He typically did these sorts of things. I think previously he had done Imitation of Life, which is also based on a Fanny Hearst. But this one was directed by David Miller, and I think it would have been probably a notch or two better had it been directed by uh, by Sirk. But he had retired by this time. And uh, I think another problem with this film is that uh, Susan Hayward is 15 years older than John Gavin in this film. And uh, so it's kind of, you really have to have a suspension of disbelief to go along with that. But other than that, it's, it's, uh, it's good. And the transfer is great. Uh, Kino, like I said, has issued this, uh, well, moving along. Chariots of the gods has been issued on Blu-ray. This is the 1970 documentary that kind of paved the way for the in search of television series. And the premise of course, being, uh, being that uh, you know we're, that there were aliens here before, and that kind of led to the the birth of our religions as we know them, and I always found this to be quite an interesting documentary of its type. Uh, you know, back in the day, I'm not sure uh, how dated it is. I haven't seen it in a while, but but um, certainly it was the uh, it, it did very well at the box office, and uh, the fascination with this sort of stuff paved the way for for the Alan Landsberg television series in search of hosted by Leonard Nimoy, as we all fondly remember who those of us who grew up in that time. Yeah. yeah. So here's, here's like, so I walk in, I walk into work 
Mm-hmm. And there's another guy that works in the office with me. And I was like, uh, okay, here's a really simple movie trivia question. And he said, I'm ready. And I said, okay, what do William Shatner and Michael Myers from Halloween have in common? <laughs> and so he said, William Shatner, is that the Unsolved Mysteries guy? I was like, what? Jeez. <laughs> I said, Captain Kirk, man. He said, oh, I don't want Star Trek. I said, neither do I, but I know who the hell William Shatner and Captain Kirk are. Right. And then he said, oh, oh, he said and then so he got that, and then he said, okay, Mike, Mike, that's Austin Powers, right, Michael Myers? I said, <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, man. Man, unbelievable. Yeah, that's pretty bad. That is pretty bad, I have to admit. Uh, these kids today, Lionsgate has been issuing this series of uh, Blu-rays called um, the Vestron Collectors. Mm-hmm. That look like uh, video series. cassettes? Yeah, they look like the old Vestron video uh, cassettes. And anyway, their latest release, uh, previously they've done like Maximum Overdrive and I think a Chopping Mall mm-hmm. and some stuff like that. and. Anyway, their latest one is Sundown, The Vampire in Retreat, from 1986, and directed by Anthony Hickox and starring David Carradine, Morgan Brittany, and Bruce Campbell, and Maxwell Caulfield, and Deborah Foreman. Interesting cast there. I uh, did not get a review copy of this one. I have not uh, seen it. I didn't even see it back in the day, but um, it looks intriguing, I will admit. And uh, so we have Labyrinth has gotten a 4K upgrade for its, I guess, 35th anniversary. The uh, Jim Henson directed um, fantasy film starring Jennifer Connelly and, oh, David Bowie, of course. A lot of people fondly remember that one as well, just like the Transformers there, uh, people of a certain age. So anyway, uh, we have Shadow of the Thin Man, which is a Warner Archive release. It is the fourth in the Thin Man series, and uh, they uh, they have two left that have not been issued on Blu-ray, but I have a feeling maybe by the time Warner Archive ceases uh, being a company uh, or an entity, they uh, that maybe they've got some planned. I think the end of this year they're phasing out Warner Archive, I, from what I understand. I could be wrong, which is sad news to me. But uh, with the AT&T merger... They fired all of their staff from Warner Archive who had diligently restored so many of these films over the years. These people were really good at what they did, and they fired them. And I'm hoping some of them wind up at other boutique labels because their knowledge is uh, unsurpassed. Several of these people that I've had interactions with online and just in various ways, I can tell you they're just they're amazing. And it's a real shame that uh, that they – that they were uh, that they're no longer. But apparently, what they did was they 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 had plotted out enough uh, of these uh, planned out rather enough of these Warner Archive releases to last for an entire year. They were let go in February, and so these are are coming through the end of the year. And uh, I will say, Straight Time is coming out uh, this month actually, which I'm really excited about. And Night Shift is coming out next month, so they're still putting out some good stuff. But anyway, Shadow of the Thin Man is the fourth in the series, and, uh, you know, it's William Powell, Myrna Loy, the husband-wife team, Nick and Nora Charles, uh, you know, trying to solve murders, and this time they've got their, they've got their son and, and their dog always is a part of the, uh, the uh, action. Donna Reed has a supporting part in this one, and anyway, there's uh, the special features are a vintage short, The Telltale Heart, classic cartoon, The Goose Goes South, 
in the theatrical trailer. So uh, and it looks great. I did get a chance to look at this one as well, and it's a uh, great transfer as always. Um, original cast album is uh, a documentary about the um, the uh, recording of the cast album of Company from 1970, and this has been issued by Criterion, and it's uh, this is a uh, this is a D.A. Pennebreaker documentary. And Stephen Sondheim is in this, of course, Elaine Stritch, Harold Prince, Dean Jones, Beth Howland, who um, we knew was Vera on Alice back in the 70s and 80s. Anyway, uh, this is, like I said, a documentary about the recording of the cast album for Company. And uh, it's supposedly uh, good. It was hard to find for years, but they've uh, they've issued it. Uh, another Kino release, with another title they've reissued that was a... Um, Previously, a Twilight Time release is Billy Wilder's The Fortune Cookie. And this was the film where Walter Matthau uh, famously suffered a heart attack halfway through production. And by the time he recovered, his he looked like uh, he was ha- literally, I think, half of the size that he was in earlier scenes. He was he lost so much weight that it's uh, his scenes really don't quite match up. But anyway, his performance was highly praised and he won an Oscar for Best Supporting Actor for this film. And it's a funny movie. It's a. Jack Lemmon and Walter. I think it may be the first uh, cinematic teaming of on-screen teaming of Jack Lemmon and Walter Matthau. I believe it is. It's uh, the premise is that Jack Lemmon is a uh, a cameraman uh, who works uh, for CBS Sports or something. And anyway, a football player knocks him down, and Walter Matthau is the shyster lawyer who gets him to exaggerate his injuries so that he can get a big settlement and. Uh, it's uh like I said, it's typical Billy Wilder stuff if you like his stuff and I'm a fan. But this new uh new issue by Kino uh has a new commentary. So and uh maybe maybe some of the previous extras, I'm not sure. I didn't get a review copy, I didn't I didn't need it because I already had the time, so <laughs> uh in the good old summertime is another Warner Archive release. It's a musical with Judy Garland and Van Johnson and directed by Robert Z. Leonard. This has a uh, special features include an intro Garland's biographer, Jan- John Fricky, Vintage Fitzpatrick, Travel Talks, Shorts, Chicago, The Beautiful, and Night Light Chicago, and theatrical trailers. And uh, this is one I didn't did not get around to uh, to seeing. This is one of the, her Technicolor MGM musicals in the good old summertime, like I said, issued by good folks at Warner Archive yet again. So, uh, I don't know what to say about Rad. I mean, isn't that a Hal Needham thing? Is it? I believe I could be wrong about this. Hal Needham directed that? I want to say that, uh, yes, he did. Yes, he did. I was correct. Lori Laughlin, Talia Shire, Ray Walston, Jack Weston. (laughs) That's a hell of a cast for a film about a... Uh, a kid trying to win the uh, BMX race called Hell Track, right? What was the Hal Needham movie where somebody was killed? That's, um, goodness, uh, geez, that's a good question. I'm not sure. They cover it in uh, that documentary, I think. And the family sued him or something. Yeah, I know. Gosh, I don't, I'm, I'm drawing a blank. 
Well, anyway, the 1948, uh, speaking of Billy Wilder, we talked about him earlier with the fortune cookie. The Emperor Waltz was the only musical that Billy Wilder ever attempted from 1948, starring Bing Crosby as a he's a, a, a record salesman whose dog falls in love with another woman's dog and they meet cute that way. And so uh, I've I've not seen this one, but uh, I, I hear that it's not one of the brighter spots in uh, the Billy Wilder uh, in his uh, catalog of titles. But um, anyway, we'll move along to Care Bears Movie 2, a new generation from Sony. <laughs> Apparently there is a following for these Care Bears movies. I don't uh, quite get it, but uh, nevertheless. Um, so that's a that's a Sony release. Uh, I take it they've already released the first one. Yeah, I would assume. Okay. I would assume. Because it would be strange to start off with part yeah. two. Yes, it would. Very much so. So, I will mention uh, another Kino title is Fitzwilly, the Dick Van Dyke film, which uh, is uh, directed by Delbert Mann, star- co-starring Barbara Feldon and one of my favorite character actors, John MacGyver. And this was a charming little film I had never seen. I had often heard about it, but it's a very, very intelligently done film. Essentially, the premise is that Dick Van Dyke is the butler, and his employer is running out of money, but he is really embarrassed to tell her. And so he comes up with this elaborate scheme of uh, thefts to keep the illusion going that she's got money. Hmm. And it's, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a pretty clever, like I said, very well. And it has uh, also Norman Fell is in this. Uh, John Fiedler uh, features a score by John Williams. Yes, that John Williams, the Star Wars guy. And... Um, it's. Uh, I would definitely recommend it. There's an audio commentary here by filmmaker historian Michael Schlesinger and film archivist Stan Taffel and the theatrical trailer. So this was a. Uh, this is nicely shot in Panavision as well and looks great. So anyway, uh, you, I would recommend Fitz Willie, one of the one of the uh, titles released by Kino Lorber this month, and Percy. From 1971 is another one of the Kino Lorber releases. This is about the the first penis transplant. What is it? <laughs> a 1971 comedy about the world's first penis transplant. It's called Percy. Oh, uh, shouldn't that one. shouldn't that be called Fritz Willy? <laughs> <laughs> you would think so. Uh, yeah, this is a movie that uh, I, it's been notorious for years, but I've never seen it. Uh, but uh, it's uh, it is out there available for consumption now. Mm. Uh, yeah, The Conjuring Three. We're moving to August twenty fourth. Now we're getting closer to the end. The Conjuring Three has been issued by Warner Brothers proper in both four K and Blu ray. Uh, this kind of got mediocre reviews. Uh, I I did like the second Con- Conjuring. I thought the first one was a little overrated to say the least. But uh, the first second is this one was, the Devil Made Me Do It. No, the one that just came out on HBO yeah, that's Max. The one. That's the one, yeah. Yeah, that's it's the weakest in the series. Yeah, I, I heard that, and so I, I did skip it. Um, anyway, um, the final film in uh, Andrew Wadja's celebrated war trilogy, uh, Ashes and Diamonds, which is considered to be a milestone of Polish cinema. Uh, it's about a man's moral crisis uh, during the waning days of World War II. And uh, this has been issued by Criterion in a new 4K digital restoration, uh, audio commentary from 2004, 
new video essay, uh, a documentary on, on Andre Wadja uh, on Ashes and Diamonds, uh, archival news reel footage on the making of the film, and a new subtitle translation. So uh, Ashes and Diamonds being issued by Criterion. And Two Evil Eyes is a Blue Underground release. This is uh, the film that George Romero and Dario Argento teamed up on when they did the Edgar Allan Poe stories. And it was two segments, each one running about an hour. And uh, the the, uh, the Argento one is, I think, the one that works, works best. This is the one with Harvey Keitel. You know, uh, the one with, directed by Dario Argento has Harvey Keitel where he has the uh, – the, the black cat that will will not leave him alone after he commits murder and yeah. uh, it's it's caught in the wall or whatever it's, it's pretty effective the uh, the the George Romero one is kind of weak but uh, anyway this has been issued in 4K by Blue Underground and uh, with a new uh, a few new extras and all the uh, the previously released extras and I think I mentioned this one last month but the date got changed so I'll mention it again uh, the Cat of Nine Tales the uh, speaking of Dario Argento this is an Arrow release it's a 4K remastering uh, with the uh, previous extra extras brought back over uh, for this new um, enhanced issue of, uh, of the Cat of Nine Tales. Uh, Overboard, the uh, 1987 comedy with uh, Goldie Hawn and Kurt Russell, it's been issued previously on Blu-ray, but now uh, Severin Films has issued this <coughs> on uh, Scanning 2K. Uh, with a uh, new interview with the screenwriter of the film, Leslie Dixon, uh, who also wrote uh, Mrs. Doubtfire. <clears throat> so this is, uh, you know, directed by uh, Gary Marshall and typical of his of his stuff. But uh, char- <clears throat> it has its charms, nonetheless. Yeah, it's a favorite. People love that movie. It really is. It's much better than the remake, I'll say that. Um, so anyway, uh, but yeah, there's a new reissue of Overboard out there from Severin Films. And uh, this is one you and I are, are fans of, I can safely say, I'm pretty sure. Prince of the City has finally made its way to Blu-ray from the good folks at Warner Archive. Good. And, uh, yeah, there's a 30-minute uh, documentary as an extra here uh, by Laurent Butzero. We talk about him quite a bit. Uh, it's called Prince of the City, The Real Story. And this also features uh, input from Sidney Lumet in the documentary. Uh, the theatrical trailer and uh, brand new transfer. Um, it's just great to get Prince of the City. Uh, this uh, great film about police corruption. Man, that sucks that I was never able to interview Lumet. I tried. Oh, I, <clears throat> I tried during the time. I mean, it was shortly before his death, but they were doing a retrospective mm-hmm. of his work in New York City. And that's around the time I was trying to get him, but I just couldn't get him. Yeah, that sucks. That would have been a good get, too, because uh, he was one of the greats. Absolutely. Uh, the uh, the uh, recent film, My Heart Can't Beat Unless You Tell It To, which stars Patrick Fugit, uh, that's been released by Dark Sky Films. It's, a, like I said, a, a fairly new release. just wanted to mention that. Uh, the Old God Collection has been issued by Shout Factory as part of their Shout Select line of titles. And for the first time on Blu-ray, you get uh, Old God, Old God, You Devil, and Old God Book 2. That's the second one. I skipped over that one. But anyway, uh, yeah, Old God, You Devil was actually um, written by Andrew Bergman, the uh, the great screenwriter Andrew Bergman, which surprisingly so. I didn't, I never saw Old God Book 2 or, or uh, Old God, You Devil. I am a big fan of the first one. I think I, I think saw Old God, You Devil. 
Yeah. Uh, but that instead of John Denver, wasn't it somebody like Craig Wasson or somebody like that? I think Ted Ted Wasson, I believe. Ted Wass, okay. Gosh. Yeah, Ted Wasson. There's some '80s names for you. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not a. <laughs> I, I I remember it, it got slightly better reviews than the second one did, but the second one got slammed. Uh, I think that was directed by Gilbert Cates. <laughs> Sam Wasson. That's not who I'm thinking of. The body yeah, double guy. Who's yeah, the, body double guy? the body double guy? Ted Wass was the guy who was, uh, he was on some sitcom. And he's also, uh, he was in the uh, Curse of the Pink Panther. That's uh, not the name of the guy in Body Double. That's the that's the name of the biographer of Fosse. Who's the guy? No, Craig, Craig Wasson. Craig Wasson. Sam Wasson's the writer. Yeah, Craig Wasson. Right, okay. I'm glad Craig we Wasson. settled that. Yes. Craig Wasson, and he's the guy who's also in uh, the Arthur Penn film Four Friends, and he's in uh, Ghost Story. So he's in and the third Nightmare on Elm Street, I believe, too. Well, so. Ted Wass was in uh, that Odd Couple TV show with Matthew Perry and a few yes, years back. That's right. Yeah. Hmm. He was also married to Janet Margolin, uh, who's in famously in uh, a couple of Woody Allen movies there. And oh, in, yeah. So he was married to her until her until her pa- untimely passing. And then he was in Sheena. That's it. With yeah, Tanya I knew there Roberts. Was some cult movies. Yes. Yeah, I knew there was something he was in that 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 has a cult lingering cult following, and that's uh that's it. You got it. Yeah, directed by uh, my man John Gilliman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh goodness, goodness. Yeah, we didn't bring that up at the uh, memorial service. There was no mention of that whatsoever. Nobody rode in on a zebra? They did not. Yeah. No, he did not have that uh, carved in on his uh, on his grave, on his uh, headstone, I don't think, like um, <laughs> like uh, Tony Scott did. There, were no, there was no mention of the credits for Sheena on his. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, Larry Cohen's uh, A Return to Salem's Lot from 1987, which... Uh, stars uh, Michael Moriarty and mm. bears no relation, by the way, to Salem's Lot. I love that TV movie, Salem's Lot. I love Toby Hooper's oh, Salem's Lot. I do too. Very effective. Very, very effective. I'm kind of disheartened that they're remaking it right now. Yeah, well, they've already remade it once uh, with Samantha with Rob Mathis Lowe. and uh, yeah. Rob Lowe. And not bad, by the way. Uh, well, this I one, expect- this one's a movie movie. Oh, really? I didn't realize I think it was it is. Well, that might be interesting. But they uh, cast their they cast their Ben Mears or whatever that lead character name uh-huh, is. Uh huh. Yeah, that's him. Uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I agree with their choice. Well, it remains to be seen. I I know. Then the, William uh, Sadler's in it too. He just got cast. Started working oh, on it this week. Well, I thought Rutger Hauer made a very good. Uh, uh, Barlow the Vampire, because they, you know, in the in the remake, the uh, the one that was made for TNT, because uh, in the book he's portrayed as being this suave, debonair, and that's the way they portrayed him. They were more faithful to the book, which I love the 1979 TV movie. You're right, it's great, but uh, I thought the remake was much better than it had any right to be. Hmm. Uh, the one that was, um, I th- and I like the fact that they took a lot of unused stuff, stuff that didn't. Uh, that wasn't in the 79 version. There's a really effective scene where there's a, a school bus full of vamp- children who have been turned into vampires, and the, the driver's, you know, he gets in there and driving the kids 
to their destination. He looks in his rearview mirror, and they're all vampires, and the bus is full of them. It, there's a few few really good scenes. It was uh, directed by, I think, Mikhail Solomon, who was a cinematographer, did the uh, cinematography for Backdraft. And, uh, so well, maybe I'll uh, check it out. It's worth seeing. It really is. But I, I, but I do try to watch that '70s version like once a year, and oh, it's great. It's got yeah. a great cast, and yeah, totally agree. I think the the most memorable scene for a lot of people that have seen that miniseries is the <clears throat> Jeffrey Lewis tapping on the window or, or oh you know, God, turning yes. or something. And I don't know how many people realize that the, he he's uh, Juliet Lewis's dad. I know, right? Yeah. Well, they look identical. I mean, there's no denying it. Uh, yeah. I and See, now, I'm old enough to have seen Salem's Lot when it originally aired, and it aired in November of 79. And um, I think I did, I, too. Yeah, and it and they didn't air it. You know, most movies were aired, uh, when they're a two-part movie, as that was, they would air the parts back-to-back. Well, they did something really weird with Salem's Lot. They aired part one on a Saturday night, and then you had to wait till the following Saturday night to see the second half and so the first half ended at the point where uh jeffrey lewis is compelled to open the coffin of the little boy and uh, the little boy just leaps out of the coffin and bites him on the neck and that's where it ended and it was such a cliffhanger it was like oh my god (laughs) but uh and i'll never forget we had a cross in the house and i sat it by my bed that night (laughs) I was I was nine years old. I was terrified. I'm telling you, I had I literally put the cross yeah. on the nightstand. Everything about uh, it, everything everything about it works. And the yeah, uh, totally, totally. Yeah, that's interesting how they aired it on a Saturday. I guess TV viewership was different back in the day that people were actually home watching TV on Saturday. They were, they were, and it was really weird because, um, like I said, uh, we I distinctly remember we watched it on a Saturday, and typically most TV movies back in that time were shown consecutive nights. You know, they would show yeah. them in the middle of the week, and it was a really weird way that they aired that. And I remember the, the suspense was killing me because when you're nine years old, uh, seven days is a long time for a nine-year-old kid to wait for, you know. Now it just you blink your eyes when you're an adult and it's gone. Uh, but when you're a kid, uh, that's forever. That's an eternity, and it's like, oh, my God, will it ever get here? They got great YouTube videos of locations, uh, of mm-hmm. Salem's Lot, that little town in California, much of which has not changed. Interesting. Yeah. It was all shot in one little town. I can't remember the name of the town. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, great cast and uh, great, even a great score. So, yeah, yeah. But Return to Salem's Lot is not such a great film from what I understand. Uh, this was made at that time when, uh, you know, they were looking for product on video shelves. And so a lot of these companies were providing financing for movies because they knew they'd get their money back when uh, they were released on video cassette and they were mostly aiming for the video market they would give them a token theatrical release but you know that wasn't where the where the eye was the eye was on the video money and so return to salem's lot was one of those films warner brothers actually financed it but it was a two a, a two movie deal that larry cohen did uh, along with it's alive three island of the alive and uh and they, they take a more comedic approach to the material and uh it doesn't have any – none of the characters return, and it's just not – it just fell flat for me. But anyway, Scream Factory has issued that in case you're a completist and want that. So just wanted to mention that. And uh, there you have it. And let's see. We have Blind Beast, which is a uh, Japanese thriller about a man who uh, kidnaps this this model and uh, uh, holds her prisoner in his um, – 
basement or whatever, and uh, it's uh, I, I didn't get a chance to watch it. Uh, it's a review copy I, I did get, but just didn't get around to it. But uh, it's one of these films that's been kind of hard to find, but uh, has been, again, requested. But it's a 1969 Japanese thriller, Blind Beast, has been issued by Arrow with lots of uh, lots of extras, commentaries, um, featurettes, all that stuff, new transfer. And The Cannibal Man has been issued by Severin Films. I did get a chance to watch this one. This was an interesting interesting Mexican film about a guy who accidentally kills a uh, a taxi cab driver, and then he, in order to cover his tracks, he begins killing more people. He uh, every time that he's about to be discovered, he kills anybody that he's afraid might tell on him, and it's a uh, it's not as uh, he works in a meat processing plant too, and it's not as violent as you would think it might be by that title. But it's an interesting little curio. And Sammy uh, Davis not- Jr. sings the theme song. <laughs> the Cannibal Man, <laughs> oh the Cannibal, man. <laughs> Cannibal Man. <laughs> Who can make the sun rise? Sprinkle it with dew. Start out as a black man and then turn into a Jew. The Sammy Man. <laughs> Oh my goodness! He mixes it with blood and makes the world taste good. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, it's interesting. Well, anyway, I did get a chance to watch this one. Good transfer, and uh, it's uh, yeah, it's uh, directed by Eloy de la de la Iglesia. That's it. He's uh, yeah, he's he's a big deal in Mexico, and uh, Severin has actually issued two of his other films. That's what I was getting to while I'm on the subject of this filmmaker. They also issued a uh, three-disc set of the uh, the Quinco collection, which includes three of his films, um, Navajeros and El Pico and El Pico 2. And these these are considered his teen crime trilogy. This is, includes, um, oh, new interviews, uh, trailers, featurette, uh, panel discussion with film scholars, and they also issued his other film, No One Heard the Scream, from 1973. So uh, Severin Films has been on a Eloy Della Iglesia kick this uh, during the month of August with these releases of these films. So I just wanted to mention those. MBD Visual has released the 1982 horror film One Dark Night, which starred Meg Tilly, mm. and we will mention uh, Thoroughly Modern Millie. Uh, has been issued by Kino Lorber. Um, this was the uh, Julie Andrews, Mary Tyler Moore musical, also with John Gavin, uh, as we mentioned earlier. This has uh, got an audio commentary by our uh, our uh, former guest, and he joins us every now and again. Lee Gambin did the uh, commentary here. Uh, also, a roadshow edition has fully been restored in 4K by Universal and with a theatrical trailer as well, two-hour and 32-minute Version. You know, this is directed by George Roy Hill, and it was the biggest grossing film for Universal Pictures up until Airport, which people tend to forget. That this What's it called? Thoroughly Modern Millie. Huge, really? hugely really? successful film at the time. It's kind of forgotten now. It also, of all the film scores that Elmer Bernstein did in What's his career, and there were many, The Magnificent Seven, The Kill a Mockingbird, uh, The Great Escape, we could name them all. Of all those films, what was the film that he got his Oscar for? Thoroughly Modern Millie. Isn't that amazing? So, so Thoroughly Modern Millie is not based on a Broadway musical? No, no, it became a Broadway musical after. Oh, okay. After it was the the opposite. It was a um and the music is um the musical numbers are scored by Andre Previn. 
Uh-huh. But uh, yeah, James Fox is in this. Beatrice Lilly, John Gavin, uh, even Pat Morita turns up, and um, Jack Sue, if you remember him from Bar- uh, uh, oh from oh gosh, what's the um, trying to think of the sitcom he was on in the late seventies that's well known. Uh, I think I know it so much. Yeah, Barney Miller. I was gonna get it. Yeah, on. that's it. Yeah. Anyway, he's uh, he's in this too. So anyway, uh, you know, it's I'm not gonna tell you it's a great film, but. Uh, I like George Roy Hill, the director. You know, he directed The Sting and, you know, The World According to Garp, so many other great movies. And he, he, he has some nice directorial touches. There's some flourishes that he brings to the material that's, you know, makes you smile every now and then and chuckle a little bit. And, uh, uh, what, was I his, what was his last movie? It wasn't Funny Farm. F- Funny, Farm. Funny Farm was his last movie? Yeah, that was it. Oh. Yeah. So, uh, but Thoroughly Modern Millie was one of his biggest, uh, grossing films. In oh. his career, uh, it really was. So, uh, like I said, people tend to forget it. My dad was a huge fan of this film, so we grew up watching it. So I was pretty familiar, but I had not seen it in a long, long time. So uh, anyway, the uh, Thoroughly Modern Millie has been issued on Blu-ray by Keno Lorber, and we're getting down to the uh, getting down to the few remaining titles here. Another Keno Lorber title that's worth mentioning is What's So Bad About Feeling Good? This is the first time this has ever been released. It was never issued on VHS tape, never issued on DVD, no home video format until now. And this is George Pappard and Mary Tyler Moore, and it's uh, directed by George Seaton. We just mentioned Airport. Well, same director. George Seaton. And uh, he also directed Miracle on 34th Street. I enjoyed this film. I have to admit, uh, it's Dom DeLuise is in it as well. Uh, Susan St. James, Don Stroud, John McMartin. Uh, it's basically about a virus. A bird spreads a virus that causes people to feel good, to be happy. And so uh, the advertising uh, industry really starts panicking because they don't want people to stop uh, buying alcohol or cigarettes. And so they order a mask mandate. This movie is so prescient. It's unbelievable. They order a mask mandate because they want people wearing masks. They don't want them to catch the virus because they're afraid they'll stop buying stuff because everybody's happy. And so uh, and it has this subplot about did the Russians cause this because they they hate our uh, they, they hate our uh, our, uh, our fi- financial system that we have in place in this country. And uh, is, it, is it something from the Russians that started this and. Uh, they hate capitalism and yada yada yada, and it's it's uh it's quite it was very uh, interesting when I watched it to see people running around in masks in this movie, 53 years old. So uh, <laughs> it was uh, it has some and there's a lot of things in this film that do tie into what's going on today. It's kind of kind of scarily so. So anyway, what's so bad about feeling good? I uh, I would like to recommend that actually uh, as a curio. And it has an audio commentary by film historians Howard S. Berger and Nathaniel Thompson and two theatrical trailers. Also, the last Kino release that we'll talk about is Moment by Moment. Lily Tomlin and John Travolta. This is another film that has never gotten a home video Mm. release until now. And this was an infamous film. I'm sure you're aware of it and probably quite a few of our listeners are as well. The uh, story about this film is that uh, Robert Stigwood had a three-picture deal with John Travolta in the first one, of course, was Saturday Night Fever. The second one was Grease. And it's a great trivia question because I've asked it many times at parties. And what was the third film? Nobody knows. It was moment by moment. It literally was pulled out of theaters in two weeks. Uh, they just completely pulled it out of theaters after it was it was so derided critically and nobody was going to see it. And it's a 
May December Romance, Lily Tomlin, John Travolta, and a lot of people said the problem was that they look so similar in the film that you can't tell who's who. And so (laughs) that was was one of the things that people, uh, the dialogue is pretty bad. I have to admit it's pretty laughable. And um, it's uh, directed by, written and directed by Jane Wagner, who's Lily Tomlin's longtime partner. Uh, The thing about this film is that, it, uh, like I said, it just, uh, just did not catch on. It was, uh, people were seeing it, but for the wrong reasons. And, uh, anyway, another commentary by Lee Gambin here, uh, and Sergio Sims, author of Liberating Hollywood. And, uh, this film was such a fiasco that Jane Wagner never directed another film. So it's interesting to mention too. So anyway, there were radio spots and theatrical trailer, um, it's a very well shot film. I will say that it's filmed in Panavision by Philip Lathrop. And I'm a sucker for L.A. films uh, shot in, in and around L.A. in the late 70s. Well, this one hits my sweet spot because there's a lot of like uh, Malibu and L.A. and, you know, that that sort of thing. So I enjoy it for the uh, technical stuff more than the in the actual, you know, the time and the place. But uh, it's a snapshot of L.A. at a certain time. So there's it has its charms. But if you're. But the, but it is uh, you haven't lived until you've seen the hot tub scene with Lily Tomlin and John Travolta. That's all. I'll I'll leave it there for you. And uh, so enter at your own uh, risk. <laughs> but it is it does have its certain which charms. is exactly what she told John Travolta during that scene. Uh, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> exactly. So uh, Guyana Cult of the Damned. Uh, this was the uh, 1979 um low-budget Mexican film that was made very quickly to capitalize on the uh, the terrible tragedy of uh, the Jim Jones suicide and all that. And I have never seen this, but I think it stars Stuart Whitman as Jim Jones, which is kind of bizarre on, on, on itself. But anyway, this is a Shout Factory, a Screen Factory release, and uh, so we'll make mention of that. And just a few other titles, and we're done here. Uh, Dune has been issued in 4K on August 31st. Uh, this is the David Lynch film, of course, that was um, just uh, landed with a thud when it was originally released, but has now become a uh, definitely has a critical, uh, a rather a cult following, shall we say, of people. Uh, I have never seen it because I've never read the novel, and I've I've heard that the novel is almost a requirement to see this film. I, but I did receive a review copy of it, so maybe I should see it. But Anyway, it's a new transfer of the uh, film, the longer cut of the film that he had his name removed from. You know, there's a three-hour and 15-minute version of the film that's credited to Alan Smithy. Uh, but that has been issued overseas, but they could not get the rights to it for America. So don't look for it on the new 4K edition of mm. Dune in America. But there are some new documentaries and featurettes and all that good stuff. So there's a lot of archive and our good buddy, Mike white contributes a commentary here. So uh, I want to mention that too. Yeah. David Lynch said he's not going to watch the new version of Dune. Ah, he said, why would I, that was the most painful period of my life making that movie. (laughs) Yeah, that, uh, that had to be a painful one for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good old Dino. Well, that's what happens when you go to work for Dino De Laurentiis, I guess. Anyway, um, In the Heights has been issued. That's Lin-Manuel Miranda film that didn't quite meet expectations financially this past summer. But it's been issued in 4K and Blu-ray by Warner Brothers proper. 
And we want to mention uh, Bugsy Malone has never been issued on DVD in America. Well, it has now. Uh, it's been issued on Blu-ray, rather, now. And uh, this is the uh, the musical version of the uh, the uh, gang- the life of the uh, gangster Bugsy Malone, but it's done with an all-child cast, Jodie Foster and Scott ba- Bayo. And, uh, Bayo. Bayo. I'll get it out. And uh, Paul Williams doing the music here. And the executive producer contributes a uh, David Putman. Putnam, sorry, uh, does a new filmmaker focus uh, feature ad here. And Paul Williams does one as well called Give a Little Love. And it's a new transfer of the film. Uh, it's it's okay of its type. Some of the songs are really good if you're a Paul Williams fan like I am. Um, Man, I couldn't you know, watch it. I watched like 10 minutes of it, and I was like, I'm just not in that mood. I, I, I guess, yeah, I guess I'm not in the mood to, to watch it. It's uh, I'm not gonna tell you it's great. Uh, you kind of have to get on its wavelength. I mean, all the Dean cars, loved kids, it. Oh yeah, he did, didn't he? I forgot about that. Yeah. Well, it's kind of a mixed bag for me. I mean, you know, they the guns fire whipped cream, and the cars uh, they have to use pedals. They removed all the engines from the cars, so they all the 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 cars are uh, or the, the kids have to pedal them with their feet, and so you know it's kind of a, a gimmicky thing, but. Um, but it's, it's almost like, well, how where can you go once you get past the gimmick? And the answer is not too far. But <laughs> but it was I'd always wanted to see it because it's Alan Parker's debut film, and uh, I'm yeah. glad they put it out there and it's readily available now. So anyway, and we have uh, two newly restored films by Jacques Deray, Alan uh, starring Alain Delon, The Gang, and Three Men to Kill. And these are from 1977 and 1980. No extras, but new transfers for both of these films. And um, like I said, both directed by Jacques Duray. And um, I think we're getting just about to the bottom of the the uh, the list here. Rancho Deluxe, the Jeff Bridges film from 1975, featuring music by Jimmy Buffett, has been issued by Fun City Editions with some new extras on that. Tough Guys Don't Dance has been issued uh, from 1987. And, um, oh, God. Have... Oh, no. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that what he keeps saying? Oh, no. Oh, so. God. <laughs> I don't think I ever saw it. I, Did, but you, have you seen that one scene, though? I think so. Where he's on the yeah. beach standing on a rock and he, the camera's just swirling around him and he just oh, keeps yeah, saying, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, God, yeah. oh, no, yeah. oh, man, <laughs> yes. oh, man. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, a couple more Kino titles here. A trio of, uh, of Vincent Price films, the Edgar Allan Poe cycle of films they did. Last Man on Earth. Actually, that's not Edgar Allan Poe. That's based on a Richard Matheson novel that later became I Am Legend uh, for Will Smith. Uh, Last Man on Earth. And then we also have uh, The Comedy of Terrors and The Raven, both of those from 1963. And then we also have, this will be the last title, Arrow Video has issued The Brotherhood of Satan, which is uh, directed by L.Q. Jones. And this was one of the one of only two films to feature Struther Martin, the great, great character actor, Struther Martin, in a lead acting role. Mm. And he's, he's the lead in this film, but it's a... Uh, you know, it's your typical early 70s thing about a, a, a group of a husband and wife stumble upon a group of Satanists who have been kidnapping the kids in the small town. And uh, 
I found it to be pretty amateurish, actually, to be, yeah. uh, just wasn't. I love Shutter Martin and, um, just anything he's in. He actually died on my birthday, which is an interesting <laughs> curio. Uh, but he's also, uh, just, like I said, one of my favorite, favorite character actors, and even he couldn't salvage this film. Uh, it was just really tough to get through this one. But anyway, um, I know there are fans of it. So, uh, anyway, The Brotherhood of Satan from 1971 has been issued. And, uh, I think that'll do us for the month of August. 